From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It certainly isn't the same as running out of the tunnel in the fall, but Billy Napier is leading the Gators onto the field for the first time on Thursday night for a highly anticipated orange and blue game. On today's show, we'll take a deep dive into one of the innovative new ways football is expanding the scope of what it means to be a Gator by talking to Savannah Bailey about the Gator-made program. Then, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss spring game things to watch, Colin Castleton's surprising return for basketball, gymnastics' role as the favorite heading to NCAA championships, baseball's resurgence against the Hogs, the largest gift in the history of Gator boosters, and ideas for fixing the transfer portal in the PAT. But first, One of the recurring themes throughout Billy Napier's brief tenure at the helm of the Gators has been the notion that Florida won't just have great football players, but also produce great men. Now, it's one thing to say that, but it's another to actually do it, which is why the Gator-made program was established as a holistic approach to making sure football players leave UF with all the tools they need to be successful in every walk of life. To learn more about the initiative and its lofty goals, we spoke to Savannah Bailey, the Senior Director of Player Relations and GatorMade. Grew up in Columbia, Tennessee. It's about an hour south of Nashville. Very small place, great place to grow up. Maybe not the best place to just grow in general. So I was really excited. Went to the University of Tennessee. Don't hold it against me. Um, <laughs> yep, everyone, everyone is always like, she's a spy. I'm not, I promise. Yeah. Uh, but studied microbiology at the University of Tennessee. Uh, really thought that I wanted to be a pathologist and study viruses and kind of epidemiology and things like that. Um, which I am clearly not doing at the moment. Um, Because I was so involved in student affairs and in other leadership roles, as an RA, I was an orientation leader, I worked for the vice chancellor, I was in Greek life, I volunteered, I kind of did anything and everything that I could. And really that was at first to to stack my resume, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I was definitely guilty of that and then realized, wait, I love doing this stuff. I love exposing people to things. I'm a first gen college student. So even getting to share in those experiences and, and watching folks kind of figure out their place in college while I was still figuring out mine, or could I be a mentor in those figures? And um, that's what I enjoyed doing. So ended up at Clemson that way in their student affairs counseling, higher education program, had a really great experience, went in as the graduate assistant of fraternity and sorority membership development, which again, not quite football, not quite microbiology, but um, all ties into it because I was really focused on how do college students develop um, what are the key experiences? What are we looking at? You know, how do, how do they shift in their identity and transition and everything else? So definitely has its background in, in what I'm doing now. But midway through that program, I got hired into football. I, I started as an intern just for fun uh, with, with football, doing operations. So they offered me to work and volunteer for camp under Mike Dooley. I was lifting tables and filling up water cups and just kind of doing whatever I could to be around. I just decided that, hey, this is what I want to do and created some some space for myself, whether there was any or not. Uh, made sure I made flashcards of every single player and every single coach to 
Wow. Know that we, yeah, as I saw them, I could recognize them by name, even if they didn't know mine. Um, so just small things that kind of put you ahead in, in some spaces. Uh, ended up serving as the coordinator for the Paw Journey program. So that is Clemson's version of kind of Gator Made, that really player development piece that focuses on personal development, life skills, and career and professional development. So really fortunate to come under the, the tutelage and mentorship of Jeff Davis, who's the founder of that program that has taught me just an incredible lifetime's worth of knowledge, to be honest with you, and really has set me up for success and to continue that work here. So how, how did you get connected with Billy Napier? Where, where did that get established? And then how does that lead you to the creation of GatorMade? Yeah, so I did not know Coach Napier at all. And in fact, didn't know anyone that was on this staff. Um, I didn't have his number or anything. He, he called me when I was actually setting up an event for current guys at Clemson. And he said, I know you don't know me, but I'm Billy Napier. And I go, from Florida? <laughs> a really great first impression, I'm sure. Um, he said, yeah, I want to talk to you about coming down here. And you know, I told him, hey, I've got some, some things that I need to take care of with my current students. We had graduation. We had a big formal. We were having you know, recognition and stoles passed out and all that kind of stuff. He said, I'm not missing that. Uh, and he said, okay, great. That's exactly why I want you here. Because you told me, you told me on the phone wait a second, I got to, I got to handle some stuff. So, um, was really fortunate in that. I think he had just always paid attention to the program. He is a huge proponent and pusher of culture. You know, what does it look like to not just create players, but to create men? A lot of programs talk about that, what it means to, to build young men. And oftentimes it's related into sometimes just doing the bare minimum, but to me, a better man makes a better student, a better athlete, a better husband, father, leader, CEO, community member, citizen, whatever you want to call it, um, just kind of getting at that identity and character standpoint. And, you know, some of that comes with maturity, some of that comes with exposure or experience or challenge or support. And what does it mean to really provide all of those things in different ways for each individual? Hmm. So, yeah, I guess that establishes what Gator Made is, the goals of it. Um, in what ways does that then drive the goals of the program? Like how important is that in recruiting to be able to say to families, Hey, this is the kind of experience we're going to provide. If you come to Florida, that even if you're not going to go to the NFL, this is another, you know, this is, you're, you're getting prepared for life. This isn't just about football. How important do you find that is to recruits and their families? Yeah. So I'll challenge you kind of twofold on that question. One, starting with the, the perception of this isn't about football, um, because whether people know it or not, the NFL is a career and that is a job and a job that you can get fired at. It still looks like what does the transition look like from a now I have different finances, relationships, expectations, mental health, physical health, all of those things. So even then, when you talk about being prepared for whatever's next, throw NFL in that, too. Uh, you know, I'm quick to ask people what's a good NFL career to them, recruits or current guys alike. And, you know, you, can't, you have the people that say 10 years and I say, all right, Tom Brady, that's great. But then how, <laughs> how old are you when you're done? So let's say you do max out in the NFL and have an amazing career. How old are you when you're done? You're 32. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Right. It's always something. And I think life is really a series of transitions and how you handle them and who's there to support and challenge you along the way. And so that's where Gator Made really kind of comes in to be able to do all sides of that. So getting you while you're in college to help develop those skills and learn those practical things, make those experiences and connections and networks, then whether it is to the NFL or to a, a corporate job or whatever else, that transition, you're ready for it. And then we continue to serve our alumni. So even if, you know, 10, 10, 15, 30, 40 years down the road, whatever it looks like, 
to, to continually serve someone um, that has poured their heart and soul into this program and support them in, in whatever that next transition of life looks like. And when it comes from a recruiting standpoint, so hitting back to that second fold piece, I think that's the, that's the common first thing. It's like, oh, recruiting moms must love you. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that's, a great, that's a great compliment. And I really value people that look for programs um, that make this a priority, right? Because to me, I think sometimes recruiting the right person is so much more because you can develop talent or there's only so much talent even available. But when it comes to skill development and character and those kind of things, those are the things that you want because the other stuff comes in time. So for me, whenever I spend time with a recruit, I try to make them do something. <laughs> I try to make them, you know, give me an introduction, work with me here. Let me see what skills we're at instead of rattle off what it is that I do. Cause it's kind of hard to understand conceptually, maybe for a 15, 16, 17 year old uh, and their family. So I yeah. say, great, you know, if we can get you better in this 30 minutes, imagine what it looks like in three and a half years when, you know, you've had a different experience when I'm, when I'm challenging you kind of constantly or providing something for you or checking in on you, imagine what that looks like mm-hmm. and how different that pitch that you just gave me is going to sound. Um, Cause you have someone in your corner kind of looking out for you in that, in that aspect and not just me, but the entire team of GatorMade, the entire staff. So you mentioned that you were doing something similar to this at, at Clemson. I'm curious, Gator made on a on a national landscape. Is this a game changer or do you find other programs are doing things similar to this? And if so, how do you make Gator made really stand out? So I'll say this, that most um, athletic institutions in general. So there is always a student athlete development department that services all student athletes at the institution. Um, and sometimes those are incredible resources. I know ours is on its own. The Hawkins Center and the staff there are phenomenal. Um, but it can be really difficult when you have a roster that's the size of six or seven other teams' rosters, mm-hmm. right? What does it look like to, to make time for them or to specialize in them individually? So really, that's, the, that's one of the major advantages of having something that is a specified program. That And now I'm getting to carry the influence of football and making sure that maybe that does turn into another opportunity for another athlete of another sport. So sometimes it starts somewhere, you know, let me take the first bite or first stab at something. So then when it becomes a success, other people are able to implement it and use it and use the same corporate contacts and, and anything else. So it's always about, you know, how, how do what's the holistic picture for Florida? It's not just me or my students or anything like that. There's a, there's a larger picture at it, but I have the advantage of really focusing on this group. Um, and usually in this role, there's someone that's a former player um, that serves as kind of a mentorship piece, which is awesome. But that's only one perspective. So when you look at kind of the, the Gator made staff, you've got two women, two people of color, two former players, two, you know, just kind of a little bit of everything, um, different ages, different experiences, different identities, just whatever you got, because certain people will be able to hold different relationships with different guys. No one person's going to be able to do everything. Just like we're not going to be able to teach them everything. We go out and get content experts to come in and, and talk about what it is that they need so we can learn it too and then serve as another resource for them. Yeah, um, that that last part I know is interesting because you guys took a trip up to where I'm at in Atlanta a few weeks yeah. ago um, and kind of, again, taking this and, and putting it into action about making making connections, exposing your athletes to uh, other businesses, not just sports, but outside of that. So can you talk about that Atlanta trip and, and how that represents the other things you're going to be able to do? Yeah. So to me, that's a direct example of what it means to do applied leadership, right? 
Um, it's one thing for me to host some kind of session on how to network or how to have a resume or, you know, how to shake someone's hand or do this or this do's and don'ts of professionalism. But it's another for me to put you in front of an executive, to put you in front of a panel and ask them questions about how they manage their supply chain and all kinds of things like that. Right. Um, so that Atlanta trip was really born out of what can I provide in terms of exposure? What can we get out and explore and do? So, for example, we went to visit, you know, different sports teams within Atlanta, but we didn't talk about what it looked like to be a player on those teams. We talked about what it looks like to work for the organization. Maybe you come back thinking, I don't want to just play. Maybe I want to own that team one day. Maybe I want to serve in a community development relationship uh, or position within that team. What does it look like to give back to that city or to create something because you've built a home there? What does it look like to, to be in marketing or create fan experiences and, and let people enjoy a game? Because traditionally these guys have not <laughs> been fans or been in an experience piece, right? Because they're, they're busy playing. Um, or what does it look like to create infrastructure around sports and to create an economic system and, and job flow and people and an experience around sports that just looks a little bit different. But then also looking at, you know, your Chick-fil-A's and Morgan Stanley's and Home sure. Depot and Atlanta Streetwear and all kinds of just different industries. Right. So you've got some some retail, some entertainment, some finance, some just in general culture giants when it comes to being consistent in what their belief systems are um, and understanding that you have to plug into a corporate culture as well. Just in the same that you kind of get recruited and go through for that match in football. Um, you're doing that, too, in the workplace. You want to find some place that feels fulfilling and valuable. I don't want to just have a job. I want these folks to have a career. Um, and what does it look like to find what that is? And I know that when you were in Atlanta, you're able to connect with a relatively famous uh, alumnus. That would be Danny Werfel. Uh, <laughs> and that he is involved in the Man of the Month initiative that you have launched as well. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, one, Danny's awesome. Uh, that's a great proponent. Um, and supporter of our program. And I think that that just comes from the inspiration of what does it look like to continually give back into the program, um, despite its changes, uh, despite its staff, whatever that looks like, what does it mean to be consistent for young men in their development? And same for all the people that have partnered with us on anything. Those folks are all just investing and encouraging the guys to invest in themselves. So with Danny doing this, he's kind of partnered with me, partnered with GatorMade specifically, to create an opportunity to recognize someone who's upholding that Gator standard, right? What does it look like to be an example, like exemplary version of what we're looking for in our program from the recruit to the alum to the current guy? What, what does that look like? Um, someone who exemplifies excellence in the classroom, on the field, in the community, doing service, doing leadership, being selfless, all of those pieces. Um, and so Chief Borders was named our first one which is really exciting, but very much so deserved. Why was Chief named Man of the Month? What does that mean? The Man of the Month award itself was actually something that is voted on, right? So all of the department heads that kind of are in student serving roles, all the, the coaching staff are able to vote on these things, the academic staff. So all people that see our guys in different perspectives and kind of cast a vote into, hey, this person really is an example of of the Gator standard and who we want in our program and, and the type of people that we, we love to have around. Um, and chief is really, really that guy. He is an energy changer for sure. He walks into a room, love it or hate it. He's going to be singing. He is there to, to liven the mood. He's there to provide anything and everything he can. He's someone that's going to exhaust himself in practice. 
He works really hard at his studies. He's a biology major, so it's also nothing easy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the first to get out and connect. He's looking for ways to improve on anything that he can. He's big on his own brand. He's really taking the time to say, okay, what does it look like to create a brand and to represent myself and not just myself, but the team and not just the team, but my university, not just the university, but the whole system. And, you know, all of these pieces that he's really thought about. So he's a guy with great intention um, and great personality, right? He's, he's the light of any room. He'll, he'll get you. Something like this doesn't just happen, right? There's got to be a lot of support and especially with football, uh, it's got to come from the top. So I guess just talk about Coach Napier's involvement in this program and the, the degree to which he supports it. Yep. It's one thing I would say to put resources to something, to set aside stuff for that thing, but to, to provide the time and the push and the challenge for those things, Coach Napier does an excellent job at it. He clearly has made this a priority, not only with the staff he's created and the, the money he's allocated, but also just saying, hey, I need you guys to listen. And sometimes at the end of practice, you know, he'll make sure to announce the man of the month and why that's important to this program. He'll make sure to say, oh, and just in case you forgot, signups are due X, Y, and Z date. And, you know, just things like that, that tell me he's dedicated to it. Um, so when he's about to go on his Gator Club tour, he, I'm going with him, right? Cause <laughs> We're going on wants, the road. Yeah, going on the road together, which one, very exciting. But also just another opportunity where he said, no, I want you to get in front of those people because we don't know who works where or anything else. And, you know, that to me is a real commitment to not not me or to just the program, but to the young men. I mean, he he talks the talk, walks the walk, fully backs into what does it look like to develop men and do it with great intention and great love. For those that haven't seen the uh, the video, you can go on the, the Gator Football Twitter account. You can see a little recap of the Atlanta trip. Um, what what do other programs, initiatives look like? What are some things beyond that that you're hoping to uh, to expose your student athletes to? I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, right? There's <laughs> plenty to think about and plenty to do. But I think there's some things that I'm really excited to create, whether that be here or abroad or whatever else, whether it be professional focused or service focused or leadership and identity focused. And I think most of those things all kind of come together, right? So even when you're networking, you have to know who you are and who you're presenting to before you're actually doing meaningful networking. So all that's kind of rolled in together. But the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to kind of for the the upcoming year, upcoming season, upcoming few months is now that I've created some some buy-in into the program, what does it look like for students to have ownership of their experience? I'm excited to hear from them what they want to do. What companies should we be talking to? Where do you want to go in the world? What experiences do you want to have? Because I don't know that anyone had ever really asked them that before. And instead it was, oh, we might have someone here. or Here's a connection. But if it's not what they're interested in or maybe worth exploring for for them, it's a little bit more difficult to, to create that. So I'm really just ready for them to, to dream big on some things, right? Tell me what it is that you want out of life. We started a meeting like that and we said, you know, what do you want? And they said, parking. <laughs> we said, we got you. I hear you. I hear you. But like, what do you want out of life and how do we help create those things alongside you? So with everything that you're talking about, I can see someone would say, okay, this is great, but how is this helping us win more football games if that's the thing that they care about? What do you say about GatorMade and how it is, you know, functionally going to help the Gators be a championship program? When you think of what makes a good player as an individual, like a football player, an X's and O's player, whatever comes to mind, I guarantee you is a transferable skill. Guarantee it. 
And that's something that I even like to talk through with people. I'll say, okay, what makes you a good football player? And they give me some adjectives and I draw a little arrow and say, great, put that in another word for what would make you a good person. And you, you just kind of break those things down. And so for me, uh, a better man with better character, better accountability, all of those things translate to on the field as well. It, it's not a one-way arrow. It's one of those both-sided kind of equation things where if I can get someone to learn more accountability, guess what? He's going to finish those reps a little bit harder because he's transferring that into all areas of his life. If we're working on time management and those kind of things and, and what he's got, guess what? He's probably getting better sleep, taking better care of his body, being able to focus more and therefore be a better player. So you want to talk about how, how it translates to on the field stuff. All those intangibles are things that you, you have to develop. Again, there's only so much talent in the room, but there's all kinds of skills that you have to work at. And a lot of those things, you know, talent, the, the God-given speed and things like, I'm not going to make anybody faster, but I can make <laughs> mind faster, right? I can yeah. work on your mind being a little bit faster. And usually the people that know what they're doing don't have to be as fast because they already know what's going to happen, right? So what does it look like to position yourself in, in better situations? And, and that really comes from being developed as a person, not just as a player. You know, part of this space that is growing and evolving that even two years ago didn't exist is, of course, NIL. Um, for those that don't know the terminology, that's the name, image, and likeness rules that allow players to now profit from that while they're in school. Can you talk about the role that NIL plays within the, the Gator Made umbrella? Yeah. So um, Marcus Castro Walker is our director of player engagement and NIL. So we have a staff member that's fully dedicated to what it looks like to provide education, understanding state laws, any, anything that we can as it relates to NIL and our students' perspective or current. Um, so I think even just having that resource and allocation says a whole lot about our commitment to it and our commitment to our guys. Uh, when it comes to how that's really changed this space, now it just makes all the things that I've been trying to push for, now it just has a, a dollar sign to it, right? That marketability, <laughs> what, what makes someone want to hire you or be a face of a program or endorse you for something? Because just because you're talented, that's great. If you can't public speak, now you're limited to only doing photo campaigns because no one's going to understand where that comes out of your mouth. You know, it's, it's those kind of small things that, that you build up and people kind of click and realize that, oh, there, there are expectations here. And on the flip side of that, NIL, you know, sounds great to all things on the surface. And then you remember, oh, that's, that's like performing in a job. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you could get fired. You could not perform well. And then what does that look like from the backside? And that's almost more of a mental health aspect or professional development aspect. So it's all connected into Gator Made and, and really what we work on in, in the development space. It's just how much do people want to take advantage of it? Um, you know, we're, we're ultimately just another resource. But when guys take an interest in, in those things, we're here. We're here for you. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe if you don't take an interest in those things and said, hey, I just I want to play ball. Well, great. Going back to our last one there's still some things that you can develop to be a better ball player. You mentioned earlier, uh, you had a pretty large staff, very diverse staff. Then you just name drop one of them a second ago. But there's another, there's another guy on that staff, I think the Gator fans who've been around for at least 20 years or so probably know as well. So uh, tell us about the entire operation and, and who's involved here. Yep. So when you think about it, we have a, a, a team of four and all of us have our areas of expertise, but all work holistically together to develop the, the person, the whole person. And that's each individual on the team. When people say, well, when does that start? Well, sometimes you could say it starts in recruiting. When we first kind of talk through folks and provide some of the education and skill application opportunity, 
But I mean, the second that someone is a gator, they're getting some of this. Um, and it's not always in structured programs or anything like that. Sometimes it's walking out to the field. Sometimes it's in, in the dining space, in the parking lot, whatever that is, because it is our job to provide that support. And we look for ways to do it all the time. It's not just about, hey, come see me. No, let me come to you. That's why we're all at practice. That's why we're in the same spaces as the guys as much as possible to actively listen and observe and, and take in what it is that we can do our jobs best and see kind of what each guy is going through. Um, but when it comes to the staff, stacked, right? <laughs> five, five stars across the board. Number uh, one picks all over. I, I agree. And, you know, I, I have the, the privilege of serving as the senior director of play relations and of Gator Maine. So really providing some, some overhead insight as well as focusing on the personal and professional development of our young men. Then you have Vernell Brown Jr., a name that Gator Nation should be very familiar with. He's awesome. He's someone who knows Florida. He's been called the face of Florida, uh, and he is. He's someone that knows what's going on, is really in tune with the guys, and serves as an excellent resource. He serves as our um, director of player development and alumni relations, as well as being a pro liaison. So he's kind of connected into all sorts of pieces, making sure all the daily stuff is taken care of. If you got a problem with parking or housing or this or that or you know whatever that is, he has that. I've been there. I've done that. I know what this place looks like. How can I help you? And that's just a very serving spirit as well. He's awesome. And then we have, of course, Marcus Castro Walker, who is new in the space because his position never existed before. Right. <laughs> um, so serving as that, that NIL and player engagement part, what does it look like to fully educate someone and their family to build a financial foundation for the rest of their lives? That's a huge undertaking. And not only that, but understanding marketability and branding and, and all of these pieces that wrap into what makes someone more successful in those spaces. Um, and then last but not least, Diane Laban has been here for a couple of coaching regimes. She serves as our Gatorade coordinator. She's also the business manager for football and she's our parent liaison. So when you're talking about someone whose motors are always going, always thinking, providing excellent resources for the guys, that's another woman on staff that that's able to relate and, and provide a sense of support and comfort for a lot of folks, but also she'll challenge you in a heartbeat. Just say, but why are you doing that? <laughs> and, um, you know, on top of that provides great organization, holds things together. And it's truly just a joy to be around. Nobody makes me laugh like Diane. So, uh, I can't, I can't explain how beneficial it's been and how much it means to me to have a staff like we have to serve our guys. When it comes to supporting Gator Made, how can Gator Nation get involved? I mean, naturally, you're like, okay, well, you can buy tickets, you can donate to Gator Boosters, but this this is about more than just money. This is about relationships, development. How, if someone's listening to this and wants to to help this program get involved, what can they do? I get it. Money definitely has it, its time and its value, but to me, the most valuable resource is time, right? And so for me, what does it look like to give your time? What does it look like to serve as a corporate resource for an internship site or, you know, maybe as a swamp alumni mentor to our current guys? What does it look like to, to pour into those experiences to be able to set up and say, hey, I'm a professional in this space. You know, let me know if someone's interested in learning more about it or, you know, hey, I, I know so and so who does this and this and this. What I found so much through Gator Nation is there are Gators everywhere. And not just that, but like incredibly skilled people, incredibly connected people uh, that really want to see our young men succeed uh, on and off the field. So to me, anyone that's listening, I know you know someone or maybe you are that someone. 
you know, that can, that can serve our guys in a meaningful, holistic way, whether it be personally, professionally, spiritually, whatever that is, whatever it is that you have to give in terms of your time and connections, that, that to me means the world. So some action items that you can definitely take if you're looking for much more in that financial support, because I mean, that's always needed. You know, you've got your Gator Boosters, Gator Collective, you've got plenty of folks that provide those avenues and opportunities. And then also, if you're looking to just kind of connect with staff and say, hey, I have some resources or things of interest that that might best serve the players, you can always email us at uh, GatorMade, so G-A-T-O-R-M-A-D-E, at gators.ufl.edu. So we intentionally made kind of our own university email address so that we could field all of those questions. And usually it's me that's answering all of those. So I'm sure that I'll see it. Feel free to drop a, Hey, Savannah, I listened. <laughs> <laughs> well, Savannah, it's, it's a really cool program. Again, this is college athletics are, are changing rapidly before our eyes. It's great to see that, that the Gators have a system in place like this to help address those and, and help athletes be the best they can be. So thank you for everything that you're doing and, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me and uh, you know, go Gators. It's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. We've got a lot to get to on this week's roundtable, so we will not waste any time with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. And uh, Scott, let's let's start uh, let's start with what most people are thinking about right now, which is of course football. The orange and blue game is taking place either tonight, depending on when you're listening to us, or this it already happened if you get to the podcast later in your in your week or weekend. Um, but just generally, what are what are expectations for what this is going to look like? I know we talked a little bit last week about the form of it. It's going to be more like a competitive game. Um, and because of all the holes Florida needs to fill, that's probably for the best. Yeah, I think, you know, the expectations are, Adam, it's, it's a chance to have a spring game and get the fans back in here you know, in April for the first time in, what, three years? Uh, you know, the Gators have not had a spring game. Uh, I don't know, you have to go back in history and look, but it's been a while, uh, if ever, that they've gone three years in a row. Or, you know, it's been three years in between spring games. So I think, you know, that's one aspect of it that's unique. Obviously, the first year of Billy Napier as head coach uh, has everyone – excited about the potential and, you know, what he brings to the program. And from a football standpoint, I I think that I don't think it's going to answer a lot of questions. I think it's a chance for them to see, you know, Anthony Richardson uh, coming off his knee surgery and see how he, he uh, plays. Obviously Jack Miller, the transfer quarterback from Ohio state, that'll be the first time that fans get to see him in action. Um, there's some new players, uh, you know, Montreal Johnson, the running back from Louisiana, some offensive linemen that are taking on more prominent roles. Gator fans for a couple of years now have asked a lot about Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard at running back. So I think you'll, you'll get a chance to see more of them. Um, really, it's just going to be kind of like a, a preview of maybe what we're going to see come September. But I don't know how much. I mean, if you listen to Billy Napier after the uh, last scrimmage uh, over the weekend, I mean, he, you know, they're doing some good things. 
but they uh, they had a lot of undisciplined errors. He said, I think it's still, you know, there's still some work to do there. He's still implementing his program and some accountability. Um, he, I, he likes the way that they've responded to what he's doing, but I just think it's going to take time. And, and we, as we've talked before, you know, I think the most interesting thing I've heard this spring by far is, you know, Billy Napier a couple weeks ago was asked about the next phase after spring camp. And he talked, look, you know, they're going to be aggressive in the, I think he said very aggressive in the transfer portal. And that portal, what what's it going to look like? You know, it changes every day, it seems like, in, in certain sports. And with football, you know, after spring practices, there'll be another window where guys will, will look to move and, and coaches will look to maybe fill some holes. And I think in the Gators situation right now, there's some spots where they could really find help in the transfer portal if they can bring in some uh, uh, players with experience and some guys who can play right away. So what this orange and blue game is more than anything, Adam, it's an opportunity for the fans to get back into the swamp for Billy Napier and his, his staff to get a, a glimpse of, of the swamp on game day. It's certainly not going to be like it, like it will be when Utah comes to town in the season opener, but there's, there's just that newness, the, the, the freshness of the a new coaching staff and a new program and, Uh, There's always excitement with that, Adam. There's been a lot of news in the basketball front. Most of it has been about people leaving, Um, not so much people coming in. uh, But there there was a pretty big surprise, I'd say, Chris, this week about a a Gator who was staying. And if anybody was going to stay, not sure there's a more helpful piece than Colin Castleton for Todd Golden to help build this new team around. No, I mean, if if you're a new coach and you're uh, walking into uh, what is obviously a uh, a rebuild situation. It's uh, nice to have your six eleven All SEC, two time All SEC uh, post guy decide to come back. There's a lot of things went into this. I think uh, I think this is something Colin had been talking about. I don't think this is exclusive per se because Todd Gold is here. I I know for a fact that the discussions were there uh, with the previous staff, and he was going to consider that stuff um, because of his situation with his shoulder. Um, so he'll have a decision to make re- regarding whether he wants to have surgery on that shoulder or just kind of, uh, uh, take it easy a little bit, kind of rehab it that way, uh, a little differently, but, uh, he's gonna, he's gonna have a, he's, he's gonna try to go into next season, uh, his fifth year season, he gets a COVID year, um, where he doesn't have to try to rebound with one arm. Um, that thing nagged at him some, he didn't, he didn't do a lot of complaining about it and it sure didn't show in the box score. This is a guy who averaged. 16.2 points a game, nine rebounds a game, and was second in the league in block shots. Um, I think uh, you can make a case he's the most skilled uh, offensive low post player in the Southeastern Conference last year. Not the best low post player. Please don't mistake me what I'm saying because <laughs> I'm giving all the respect in the world to Oscar uh, Sheboy um, uh, from Kentucky. But uh, assuming Oscar uh, t- does not return to Kentucky and turns pro, um, you know, Castleton's the best big guy uh, coming back in the league, I would think. Jalen Williams, obviously, from uh, uh, Arkansas, a, a great player um, uh, in the post there also, uh, especially defensively. But, um, you know, this is, a, this, is, this is a really good boon uh, for, the, for the Gators. I think it got a lift. I think uh, NIL made this possible because um, Colin will have some opportunities, as he did this year, some additional opportunities to, to do some things uh, on that front. So, uh, you know, 
I talked to Todd Golden the night this was all going down. He said, this is a great, this, this is a great day for the Gators. And I think there's going to be some more uh, uh, promising ones over the next uh, uh, week to 10 days as far as uh, potential uh, transfers relocating uh, as, as he and his staff have been very aggressive uh, in, in the transfer portal. I know for a fact they visited five uh, already, uh, hopped on a plane and had to, had to go to talk to some of these guys. So um, it's in the works. He's building his roster. It's an exciting time uh, for Florida basketball. By the time people hear this, uh, Scott, you will be in Fort Worth with gymnastics. And there's really, I mean, it's a pretty simple story, right? I mean, they are the clear favorites. They set one of the highest scores in the history of college gymnastics during the NCAA regionals. Uh, And now it just comes down to can they finish? And and what I find, Scott, watching these in years past, it so often comes down to the balance beam because that's where the nerves have the most potential to derail what you're doing. And I think Florida won their first national championship um, because Alabama had two falls on the beam in their final rotation. So uh, it, it seems like that's where all roads ultimately lead, especially if you're the favorite and you've got a chance to to close it out. So um, what, what are what are your expectations for what this uh, this weekend is going to look like for gymnastics? And I guess explain to people how it works too, because it it isn't you don't just show up and you have one meet and you you decide a champion. There's there's layers to this. Yeah, it's different these days. I mean, there's basically two semifinals on Thursday. The Gators are in the second one. You know, it's four teams in each semifinal. The top two advance to Saturday's championship, in the, which will be four teams. So it's almost like an Elite Eight on the first day, a Final Four on Saturday for the championship. And it, it's a meet that with the way the competition is this year and with the influx of talent, I mean, this probably will be as competitive of a NCAA gymnastics final as we've ever seen, certainly on an individual level. You know, from a team standpoint, the Gators are, are you know, they're the way they perform in the regional, you know, that gives them, a, to me, you know, if they can compete, if they can perform anywhere near what they did in Auburn, I think I like their chances to win. A lot of people consider them the favorite. But as you said, the beam is a tricky one. Um, it, it, and it, it's really, it all comes down to nerves at this stage, Adam. I mean, the pressure is, is peaking and, and the Gators have handled everything that's been thrown at them this year, handled it really well. And, you know, I'll be surprised if they don't do that again. It's just such a deep roster and uh, a lot of proven performers and, uh, Jenny Rowland's been able to mix up her lineup a lot. Uh, whereas in years past, maybe, you know, you, you're having to rely on, you know, some gymnast in, you know, all four events or three or four, she's got more flexibility there to work and, and get a feel for how people are performing going into this. So, um, but yeah, the, the Gators, they certainly are going to be in the hunt. Uh, you know, they're going to have a chance for some individual national championships. Trendy Thomas, I think, ranked number one in the vault and the floor. You know, Elisa Bauman's always really good on beam. Leanne Wong has been great on, on bars. You know, Nia Reed's a top floor performer. So they're really strong in every event. They're going to score well or have people score well. It's avoiding those mistakes, those pressure-packed situations, and uh, see if they can go out and get it done. Jenny Rowland, her seventh season, probably her most talented and deepest team and uh, probably her best shot at her first national title. 
We'll see if they can do it for the first time since 2015, which was the last of those three straight national championships, right after which Rhonda Fain moved on. And again, as you said, it's a chance for Jenny Rowland to to leave her mark and, and get one of those uh, those national titles for the program. Um, speak of national titles, baseball won one a few years ago. It's been actually five years since baseball won that national championship. Time does fly. Um, but as we talked about last week, Scott, they were they were really kind of in a rut. And after getting swept at Georgia, certainly things didn't look great when you're coming home and facing the number two team in the country in Arkansas. Uh, and in game one, things did not look great, which makes it all the more miraculous that Florida came back and took the series, especially when it didn't include winning the game pitched by Hunter Barco. Yeah, when they lost the Friday night or the Thursday night, it was a Thursday through Saturday series. When they lost the Thursday night game, uh, with Barco starting, you're like, ooh, this could be a long weekend for the Gators. And, um, you know, on Saturday, uh, they got some good uh, pitching, some clutch hitting, and then Sunday, the same thing. Sunday was a great game. I mean, they led, I think, 4 nothing. Arkansas came back, then the Gators went ahead 7-4. Arkansas came back, but then they put together a couple of runs in the bottom of the eighth, and, and with the best story of the weekend besides Gators rebounding to beat the second-ranked team in the country uh, to win the series. Blake Purnell, the uh, the redshirt freshman reliever, this guy, he's pitched in 19 of their 30, first 32 games. Um, he's he's kind of taken that role at the end of games uh, as the closer, uh, the stopper, and he uh, he won Sunday's game, and then he got a three-and-a-third inning save on Saturday, earned SEC uh, Freshman of the Week honors, and uh, it's scary to think about where they would be without him doing what he's doing in the bullpen and the offense. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting some power numbers. I mean, Wyatt Langford hit his 12th homer in the series. I think Judd Fabian hit his 13th. BT Riopel hit his, uh, I think, ninth or 10th. You're looking at a, a really big power trio. I think they're only team in Division One with three guys with nine or more home runs. I mean, they're going to need that offense until they can figure out some of their their pitching problems. And you, I'm sure Sully, he was asked after uh, the game on Saturday if ideally they would love to look back at this Arkansas series as a turning point. You know, because as we talked about earlier, when they lost uh, with Barco pitching against the second-ranked team in the country, you figure, okay, it's this is just who they are. There they're, could be for a long SEC season, but, you know, that it went two or three. They're kind of in the middle of the pack in the east. Uh, they go up to Vanderbilt and then have Tennessee come into uh, Gainesville. So these next two weekends are going to be just as important as anything they did against Arkansas. And that was, again, part of a Kevin O'Sullivan's message to the team because, you know, they, they were pumped after winning that series. But he told them in the dugout, you know, look, guys, I mean, it's great what we did here. But it's not going to mean much if, if we don't continue playing like this. So I think that's just going to be their mindset throughout because there's going to be no easy series left. If you're not playing number two, Arkansas, you're going to bring number one, Tennessee, in the in the town. You go up to Vanderbilt, which has you know, been the premier program in the conference for the last four or five years. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it, it's going to just be a team that they're either going to grow into being something they're not right now, or they're going to just kind of float along and have ups and downs. You know, when we talk about facilities, we talk about a lot of big initiatives for the program. 
Uh, there's often names associated with those. Frequently, it's the same names that are continuing to give to the program. And that's why you remember those people with named stadiums and certain places on campus. Uh, and yet, Scott, we, uh, we are in a time right now where Florida just received the largest single donation ever. Can you tell us a little bit about this gift and, uh, and how it came about? Yeah, it came from a, a man named Hugh Hathcock, who is a longtime supporter of the Gators. I mean, he's been part of Gator Boosters. He's contributed to other projects they've had over the years. But, you know, I wrote a story about him and learned a lot about him myself. Uh, you know, his father worked here in Gainesville when he was a young boy, and he, uh, he went to elementary school here, then moved outside of town. Then they eventually located up in Valdosta, Georgia, when he was in high school and he finished high school and uh, came back to UF to go to school. And he, he went to about a semester and he says, you know what, I want to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur. And I don't really feel like any university is going to make that happen for me. So he just started his business career and he, he hit it big back in the 90s with a, an idea in the automotive uh, retail industry. And, and then he developed um, some CRM software, customer relationship management, that, you know, more than 5,000 auto dealers around the country uh, eventually joined, and he had the biggest auto industry call center in the country uh, up in Valdosta, and he sold his company about three years ago, Adam, for $550 million. Wow. And now he's moved in and started another company, but when you run into that kind of money, um, he, he wanted to get back to, you know, somewhere that has meant a lot. His daughter going to UF. One of them is here now and about to graduate. And it's a, uh, you know, in these day, this day and age where everything in college sports is changing, right? I mean, whether it's uh, NIL, the facilities, upgrades that UF has uh, been doing the last few years, that all takes money. And, uh, if not for people like Hugh Hathcock, I mean, a lot of this stuff wouldn't get done as quickly. Um, so, I mean, obviously it was a, a big, big news for Gator Boosters, uh, for internal people, for the administration. Just uh, a big thank you uh, to Hugh Hathcock and his support. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's the biggest in Gator Boosters history. So uh, it was a, a big day, I'm sure, in their offices. I want to move on now to our PAT, and this is a, a very hot topic. It's not really a new topic, but it's one that seems to be um, in need of addressing by people much more important and influential than us just talking about it. But uh, yeah, this week, I don't know if you saw that, that Dabo Sweeney made this, the comment that yeah, college football as it currently is, is broken and it's got to be fixed. And I think there's other people who are less prominent than him who've noted that it, beyond college football, I mean, college basketball, there's all sorts of issues, especially as it relates to now the transfer portal, roster management, um, NIL, right? There's all of these elements that are now changing the way that college athletics work. But the one I want to focus on is the transfer portal, because I think almost everyone was in agreement that the old system was not great. And it wasn't right that coaches could pick up and leave without penalty, but then players couldn't do the same. So I think there was a consensus among fans, among media, among people that work in college sports that the system needed to be reformed. And so we ended up with this transfer portal with essentially the ability to transfer freely wherever you want, whenever you want. 
Um, and, and now that's gotten to the point where I think there's a consensus that it's not working and that it needs to be reined in in some form. I mean, just to give an example of where it's affected people that the Gator, that Gator fans are familiar with, uh, last year, Noah Locke and Omar Payne both left the program. They entered the transfer portal and they went to, I believe, one of them went to Louisville and I can't, and Illinois, I believe. Um, and now they're back in the portal looking to transfer again. And that's not an isolated story. There's tons of guys who are now just bouncing around spot to spot. And it, it's making, it's making running college athletic programs very, very difficult. And arguably now it, it is, it's out of balance too much in the player's favor. So I don't know how to fix it. I'm curious what you think. How should this be reformed uh, to make it work? Because it seems like at the moment it's not really working. I, I don't know what it is because I'm a, I'm a big freedom of choice guy. I mean, I, I'm glad that the players have some freedom now. I think it was overdue uh, in the way the old system was working. Having said that, I can understand how this has disrupted everything. And you've got to commit to something eventually to find out what you're really about and what you can really do. And I think a lot of young people, you know, the like what we're seeing in, in sports these days in these college, I don't know if they're getting the right advice sometimes. And, um, and if it's a coaching change, you, you committed to that school. And that coach leaves, I am totally fine. You would be eligible to transfer anywhere you want. Or the coach you played for, you you sign, you play for a year, coach gets fired. If you want to transfer, some kind of guideline, okay, you, you have the chance to transfer, but you have to at least, you know, maintain good grades and stay on scholarship and eligible for two seasons. That at least two, two seasons gives those young people a little more chance to really discover you know is the place or is it not for them and i mean we're seeing now where you know some kids show up and uh they'll leave a few weeks later yeah or you know one semester later you know i I just don't know what the proper answers are it's going to have to be regulated to some degree i think you're going to have to some develop some guidelines and so you know they know what the uh, the parameters are before they ever sign their, their scholarship paper. But, you know, we, there's a lot of these situations right now in college sports. I mean, the NIL, again, I think it's a good thing overall, but I do think there's going to have to be some regulation or it's really going to just water down college sports as we know it because there's only going to be a dozen or 15 to 20 schools that can really compete at the highest level if it's going to come down to all about who can reward the student athletes the most financially. All right, here's the deal. I liked the grad transfer rule. Okay. Where you could transfer after graduating and, ha- and not have to sit out because you're in essence, you're rewarding two parties. You're rewarding the student for finishing school and you're rewarding the school for getting the guy the degree. Now, maybe losing the guy isn't great, but um, the school is going to get its, uh, its, its, its academic uh, progress points for passing a, a, a player on with a degree. You know, I, I think the only way to combat this, this mess is to put the sit-out year back in. And I don't know if that's going to happen because the more student-athletes push back against the NCAA on things, 
um, things that could potentially, the NCAA don't want to go to court for anything. So the more things that could potentially lead to legal, legal things down the, down the road, I think the more uh, uh, the NCAA tends to, you know, uh, give leeway. But to me, the only way to keep 2,000 athletes out of the transfer portal, and I mean, 2,000 basketball players, it's going to be close to that in football, if not, if not more, I would imagine. And, and the manner in which it's changed, uh, not just how you can retool your roster, but the, the narrative with your program. Because, you know, you can look at a, a team and say, man, you know, just, just give me Mike, I'll, t- I'll give you uh, LSU's basketball program, for example. They lost 11 guys. Hmm. Well, he's sitting there going, okay, well, I get my pick of 2,000 guys. Or, I mean, you know, you got to get them still. You got to convince them to come still. But, I mean, if I was an LSU fan and I had 11 guys transfer, I would be really in the jar if this was five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we got we got no players. Right? <laughs> they're gonna try out. They're gonna they're gonna have tryouts down there. Uh, uh, get the water boy. Yeah, but but now, I mean, you could go get good players. The key is to get players that fit what you want to do. Um, I'm not sure the four guys Florida brought in last year fit them for what they for, for what they did. And of course, remember you're getting guys. You're getting mostly mostly mid major guys. By and large, out of unsuccessful situations, that, that certainly was what happened with Florida's four guys last year. I'm not saying they weren't good players; they were certainly good players where they were, and they certainly helped the Gators win some games this past season. Um, I'm actually sit down and listen to how, how how Todd Golden and his staff have landed on some of these guys that uh, invariably are going to end up in Florida uniforms last year. I guarantee there's mathematical equations that I don't understand, but it'll be a fa- it will be fascinating to hear them explain it. I don't know how fascinating it would be when I decide to write about it and, and have to explain it for, uh, to the layman because certainly I'm a, I'm I'm the layman for sure and the layman will have to explain it to layman but uh, I don't know I don't I don't know that there's an answer to your, to your question I, I I definitely think it's a debate you hear all these coaches talking about it whether it's Dabo Sweeney whether it's uh, Mike Shashevsky whether it's uh, Gino Oriamino or Oriama was had a great rant at the Final Four about it. Um, uh, if anyone wants to Google and go back and listen to that, but you know, it's something that's, uh, that we're going to keep on talking about, but I don't know that it's something that we're going to talk until we get a solution for it. But the talk will continue that for sure will happen. And maybe a solution is somewhere on the horizon, but who knows for sure. All we know that is on the horizon is a lot of activity on campus and off campus. It's going to be covered by Chris and Scott over at FloridaGators.com. Make sure to check them out also on Twitter at Gators, Scott at Gators, Chris for everything. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much and, and good luck with a busy weekend. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.